0: Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to August. Oh my God, it is crazy. I can't believe we are here. And I feel like, I don't want to say this, but I feel like summer is going to come to an end soon, which is so, so sad. And in fact, I'm actually recording this in July, trying to stay organized and get ahead of things, you know, prepping for podcasts and all of that. We've got some time off at the end of this month, Gayton and I and his sister and her boyfriend, we booked a cottage up north and we're going there for a week on the lake. And I cannot wait. I'm literally counting down the days to our cottage vacation because of course, as you know, it, we can't really travel anywhere. There's really nowhere to go. So we are exploring pretty much our own backyard and staying local and supporting some local businesses, which will be really great. So I'm really excited for that. So I hope you guys are doing really well and I hope your week is off to an incredible start. Today's podcast episode is so good and so juicy. I'm speaking with my good friend, Dr. Paul Herkel, who is an amazing naturopathic doctor. And he specializes on chronic pain, brain injuries, and neurological health. So we're really diving into how to optimize your brain and how sleep plays a role and how hormones play a role, how your gut plays a role, simple things that we can do with our sleep routines. We dive into melatonin. And then we do talk about concussions. He has this amazing program called the Concussion Fix Program. And it really is so fascinating. You know, Concussions aren't just something that... Athletes struggle with everyday people from just banging their head on their table, slipping on the ice, and we we don't realize that we might actually have a mild to severe brain injury. And so it's a really fascinating conversation, and I really hope you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And so a few things that we talked about, sleep being one of those things. And so I want to share with you some my favorite go-to products for sleep. You guys know I've spoken about it many times before, and that is the Organifi Gold in Chocolate. It's really, really good, and it's very calming for the nervous system. I really love to drink this before bed. And there's only one gram of sugar. So I've mentioned before how this is a product that I find really helpful for people who, ha- who have nighttime cravings, and they want something sweet, but you know you don't kind of wanna blow your entire diet. And I I don't even love saying that word diet, but you know, you don't want to kind of go off the rails and eat a bag of chips or eat the whole chocolate bar, Um, but you just want something to kind of take that edge off. And this is why I love the Organifi Gold. So it's really great for supporting a restful sleep. It has reishi mushroom, lemon balm, and magnesium. So I find it really calming and um, just so delicious. I mix it with a little bit of warm water. Um, So I boil some water, mix it with that. And then I do a little splash of like coconut milk or sometimes almond milk. So there's some really great powerful anti-inflammatory herbs in the Organifi Gold as well. There's turmeric, there's ginger. You will find some really great mushrooms like reishi, turkey tail mushroom. And there's some Ceylon cinnamon. There's some acacia fiber, which is a really great prebiotic. So it actually does feed the bacteria in your gut and can really help support proper digestion. And then the lemon balm, which is so great. It really does improve deep rejuvenating sleep. It's actually known as the calming herb. So I'm a really big fan of it and I love it so much. You guys can head to OrganifiShop.com, enter the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES and you can save 15% off any of the Organifi products and definitely give the Organifi Gold and Chocolate a try. It is really delicious. And then another product we talked about on the episode today was magnesium. And Paul is an expert with all things magnesium. And so if you're looking for a really great magnesium supplement, there's so many great brands out there and so many companies, you know, magnesium by and magnesium threonate. Those are some of the two go-tos, at least for myself that I like to take before bed that can be very calming. Um, And there's actually some magnesium in the Organifi chocolate, which is really great too. But Canprev has some really great magnesium glycinate powders. So if you don't want to take it in capsule form, they have multiple different powders that you can take. So I highly recommend that. And then of course you can take it in capsule form too, if that's easier, but I do like that they have the options there and magnesium is just so important for detoxification, for hormones, for brain health, great for sleep, great for your nervous system. So I'm a really big fan of that. And it is really one of my go-to supplements in the evening. So those are my go-to's and what I recommend if you're looking to get a really good sleep. So let's dive into our episode today. I know you guys are really going to love it. You're going to get a lot of value out of it. And I think it's so important to have this conversation around brain health um, because I feel like we're just not doing enough to optimize and support the health of our brain. So Dr. Paul Herkel is a board certified naturopathic doctor with a clinical practice in the Toronto area at two integrative clinics. He has a special interest in neurological health, chronic pain and brain injuries, writing and lecturing extensively on these topics. He is a member of the scientific advisory board of complete concussion management and international leader in research-based concussion management education and is the co-founder of the Concussion Fix program. He also has extensive experience in the natural health industry, where he has been a scientific advisor and medical director for nearly a decade, educating clinicians and formulating science-based products. So let's dive into our episode today. If you want to learn anything about Dr. Paul Herkel, get links to his concussion program, find him on Instagram. You can head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 117. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy our episode. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. Before we dive in, can you share with our audience more about who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. I'm an naturopathic doctor. I practice in the Toronto area, two clinics, and I have a focus in brain injuries, neurological health, and chronic pain. I would say those are kind of my three focused areas in what I do with my practice. I also have been part of the natural health product industry for the last decade. And so that's been anything from product formulations to doing research to education. That's a huge, huge passion of mine as I've Focused on how do I take what's happening in the science and research world and distill it down for people that are my colleagues, the doctors, pharmacists, public people, and really just share you know share the good news about nutrition and and all the science that's being done supporting natural medicine.
0: That's amazing. So I always I'm always so interested to know the backstory of like why did you get into naturopathic medicine in the first place.
1: You know what? I, it sounds maybe a bit cheesy, but it's because of my mom. And uh, it is, it's pretty sweet in the sense that I was one of the few NDs that actually wanted to be an ND right from the start. And so I know a lot of people have come into the naturopathic profession because they had a great experience with a naturopath, or it was a second career because they've had to deal with their own health issues. You know, I was one of those few that I, at least when I was going in school over you know a decade ago, that was like, you know what, I back in high school, I was considering you know, naturopathic medicine was on the top of my list, along with um, you know, conventional medicine, along with other kind of like science-focused topics. I did kinesiology, and so kinesiology obviously is a study of human movement, but it is a good springboard program. So I did that at Mac, and naturopathic medicine was just a, a really good fit. So I just went straight into that. Uh, and it just really resonated with me. And I will say one more specific thing, Samantha, is that I kind of was debating whether should I go con- the conventional route or I should go naturopathic. And I, after shadowing both, I really felt convicted that if I'm going to get at the root cause of people's health issues, I need to have the ability and the structure to be able to do that and not be limited by a cookbook style. So, you know, if somebody comes in with hypertension, if you're a medical doctor, you have to give an antihypertensive. Now, that may be the right way to go, but what about diet, nutrition, and supplementation, all this other good stuff? And you right. actually can't do that in a, in a very easy way. So that was, the, that was the aha moment for me. I said, yeah, you know what? I wanna, it might be a little bit of a tough road, but it's the authentic road for me.
0: That's awesome. And then now you're specializing more with, like you mentioned, brain health, concussions. Yep. What made you focus on this specific area?
1: You know what? A couple of things. I would say probably when I graduated, I really wanted to get into sports medicine. That was my background. I'm a super kind of like active athletic guy. And I realized that, you know, there's a lot of people in the sports medicine space. You know, you're competing against physios and chiros. And I think there was just a lot of competing voices for athletes. And so I did that. I was actually the head kind of naturopathic doctor for Ryerson Athletics for a couple of years right after I graduated, which was a great experience. But then I also had this passion for neurology and the perfect segue and the perfect middle ground of that was brain injuries. And once I started getting into it, I realized that this is a massively underserviced group of people that are suffering in silence. And so these are people that they have an MRI of their brain, they've had a concussion six months ago, and they have all these symptoms and their MRI is clear. And everyone's like, why can't you go back to work? You know, Why can't you go back to school? And you have chronic headaches and you have dizziness and your periods and your hormones have never been the same since you've had a brain injury. So there are these, there's this, what I found this big group of people, Samantha, that are just falling through the cracks. And that's where kind of this whole passion with brain injury recovery took off.
0: That's awesome. Well, we definitely need this work. It's so, so needed. And I need to connect you with Gaytan because you guys will totally geek out um, when I told him, like, I'm I'm speaking with Herkel today. <laughs> he was like, "Oh my god, yeah, concussions." I got to get him on my podcast, so I know he's definitely going to reach sure. out. For yeah, you guys can totally geek out in the in the
1: sports medicine world for sure. That's my that's my jam. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll connect you guys
0: for sure. So let's dive in to brain health. I mm-hmm. want to like, what are
1: some what
0: would you say are some of the most important factors for really optimizing and supporting the brain?
1: The obviously you know there's many out there, but I'm going to kind of highlight the ones that I think everyone should be aware of. Number one, sleep, you have to be thinking about sleep. You might think you know sleep is you know I'm unconscious, you know I'm resting <laughs> right. the The brain is so active during the night, Samantha, you know this. I know you talk about it with all your clients. It's often overlooked how important it is for processing our memories, for processing any sort of toxins that we have in our body. There's this system in the brain called the glymphatic system, which is actually something that's pretty relatively new. I never learned about it in school, but you've all heard of maybe the lymphatic system. It's that that highway in the body that kind of complements the bloodstream. It transports white blood cells, immune cells, gets rid of junk, brings good fats, brings immune cells to areas that's needed. And the brain now has this system, this newly discovered system, and it actually is kind of like the garbage disposal chute for all the stuff that the brain no longer needs, uh, the wastes, and if those things build up, that's where you can get to things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, these kind of neurodegenerative disorders. And at night is when this system's most active. So if you're kind of chronically shortchanging yourself with sleep, you actually are predisposing yourself to neurological issues down the line not to mention the immediate issues with not sleeping well i mean i think there's lots of good resources out there there's podcasts and books and ebooks but one of the you know kind of the best things that stick out in my mind is always like you know if you get four or five hours sleep it's like kind of driving drunk it's you're like almost like inebriated that's the impact of you know, short-term sleep deprivation. And a lot of people are just operating on deficient sleep.
0: You're making me think of my father because he used to work for TTC back in the day, Toronto transit. And Mm -hmm. he had to get up at like four in the morning. And this was like in his twenties way back in the day. So like he was up at four in the morning and then would work till, I don't know, you know, early morning. And then his sleep routine for so many years because he had to get up at 4 a.m. That just became his new norm. Getting up, getting up at 4 a.m. and getting only like five hours of sleep. And now he's been retired for so many years. It's still that same routine. He's up at like four or five in the morning. Like he can't, he can't get out of that cycle and sleep longer than five hours. And then the history of you know my grandfather passing away many years ago from Alzheimer's, I can totally start to see, see that in my father and So yeah, it's a, it's a cycle and it's hard, especially, and I'm sure you've experienced it when your parents are in their seventies and to get them to break their habits. It's hard. It's really, yeah, it's really challenging.
1: And you know, there's probably people listening that might have a similar type of routine. And the question to that, somebody like your father is, you know, what time are you going to bed? So if they're going to bed at nine every day, then that's fine. You know, they're getting their seven hours of sleep right there. Uh, but it's when you have to get up at four and you're going to bed at 10, 11, 12, pushing it and mm-hmm. just kind of using the body's stress coping systems. So the adrenal systems, you've talked about this a ton on your shows, the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary axis, that's in the brain that is now activated and it's like dealing with this stressor. So, I mean, it's, it's doable if you have an early get-up. What's worse is that if you actually do shift work, and there's tons of research showing that shift work, especially consistent shift work, where you're always working nights, right. that is very detrimental to your health.
0: Yeah, and that's a tough one because I know, especially if anybody is listening right now, and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like quit my job? I, You know, this is my job, it's shift work. So what recommendations would you have for somebody if they're doing shift work?
1: Yeah. So I've had a number of patients that did work shift work. And if a person's health issues continue to stack up and they're not able to get out of that, I've actually recommended that, you know, you need to look for alternative work. It's as simple as that. I agree. Some people just, they have the disposition, they have the physiological stamina to be able to deal with that. Then, you know, then, you know, like a friend of mine's a nurse and does nights once a month or a couple times a month and she's able to tolerate it and, and that's fine. You know, I would say when you do get back to the regular routine, do rely on melatonin to kind of reset that sleep cycle. I happen to be a, a big fan of melatonin. It's probably one of the most common things they use in my practice. A lot of people either really have good experiences with melatonin or they're scared of it because they think it's a neurohormone and they're like, what about the side effects? Do I get habituated? you know, the long and the short on melatonin is that there's lots of research on it showing it's safe. It's been studied in kids showing it's safe. It's a neuro antioxidant. So it not only helps you fall asleep, what it does is it also helps protect your brain for the, some of the damaging effects that might occur from being exposed to all the different things. And, and also also having beneficial effects on inflammation. So I do like to use melatonin short-term to help a person get back into their sleep routine, why we work on sleep hygiene, and so that is a strategy that you can do uh, if you do have to have uh, shift work.
0: Okay, that's awesome. So, my next question—I mean, this could be a little bit more bio-individual based on you know somebody's symptoms and whatnot—but melatonin dosing, I feel like, mm. could be a tricky one. What would you say about that?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point because so many of my patients, when I have conversations with them, they'll say, oh, I've tried melatonin. Right. It's, you know, oh, it, it doesn't work. You know, and they just go and find some kind of, you know, pharmacy brand and they've, they try it one or two nights. First of all, you need to be a little bit more consistent than just trying it once. Number two, what your brain normally produces, there's a little gland in your brain called the pineal gland. It produces melatonin when it's totally dark out. If you have lights on, that's decreasing the melatonin production. If you have street lights streaming through your windows at night, it decreases your production. TV, same thing. Normally, it should be producing about 0.2 milligrams. So a very, very small amount. Most supplements are 5 milligrams. So much, much higher. So what I suggest with patients is I only recommend a spray melatonin. I do not use capsules. Right. I do not tabs. I don't. I don't even believe in slow-release tablets because if you understand physiology, melatonin is that it it peaks about 2 a.m. and it starts rising around 8 p.m. So it starts rising a lot earlier, even when you're awake. And so if you start doing something like a tablet, you actually may not be able to properly break that down until much later in the evening or in the night, I should say. And you're not getting the benefit, beneficial effects, and then people wake up groggy. They're like, "Oh, I hated that. I don't feel good." And then they stop it. So we use a spray, which is a low dose, like let's say one milligram or even 0.4 milligrams, and then we slowly increase until they find their sweet spot. You know, that is a little bit of my like secret like pearl. So I'm going to share that with your listeners I today. I love that. That is like a <laughs> huge thing that has been a game changer. And this is where working with a naturopath or working with somebody that understands this will help personalize the doses. Of course. But, you know, I think that in general, a spray works better than tablets.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I've used the spray and chewables. I find those have both worked well for me, but going way back in the day when I was just supplementing just to supplement, I was taking like five milligrams and I actually had to cut way back and start at like 0.5. And and like you exactly. said, I had to slowly go up and I found a sweet spot. So, um, and do you recommend like starting that at 8 PM or...
1: What would that look like? I would say only if um, if a person really has some major insomnia issues, I think most people can do it before bed, you know, 60 minutes before bed. The advantage of using a spray is that it's pretty rapidly absorbed. Right. So you're not going to get, I've, I've still haven't maybe one patient out of like hundreds that have said, oh, I feel a little groggy in the morning because spray is so quickly absorbed. You hold it in your mouth, it's absorbed sublingually. So that's the veins under your tongue, it gets right in the brain really quick. And so you don't, um, you don't really need to do something much earlier unless we're really trying to, you know, deal with a severe insomnia case.
0: Okay, good to know. So what about those who are lying in bed with their to-do list going through their head for like an hour or two hours and they just can't sleep and, you know, have all these running thoughts going on? Do you have any suggestions for things that we can use to really calm the brain?
1: You know, the nice thing about natural medicines is that you can be really specific with how they work and when they work. So melatonin is really good at helping people fall asleep. So if you have issues falling asleep, then we can use, you know, melatonin to help reset that. So that sometimes can get people a little more sleepy. So all those running thoughts, they may actually be improved. Also just some basic sleep hygiene, like what is your 60 minutes before bed look like? You know, if you are going right from your computer that you're doing work right to bed, sure, mine's going to be going. But if you're going to give your brain and your body some time to process what's it's kind of experienced that day, you know, what's your, you know, a book, a cup of tea, mindfulness. Uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of deep breathing. I activate the vagus nerve all the time that's the time you should be processing those thoughts, not when you're lying in bed. So there's just some really practical things. right? And then there are some, you know, some of my favorite nutrients like L-theanine or GABA that just kind of have a very fast effect that can kind of get people out of that hamster wheel in the brain. If you're waking up in the middle of the night, that's a whole separate thing. That means that could be a cortisol spike. So those things I just mentioned might be helpful, but we also have to look at tamping down that cortisol and maybe that is the cause of that insomnia so that's again you know finding that personalization with you know a practitioner will be very helpful to figure out you know because insomnia is quite quite complicated but there are some things that we've found to be very effective
0: that's awesome and yeah i think it's so important that you mentioned like some of the lifestyle factors because i know so many people are they're lying in bed with their phone in their hands and scrolling through social media right Yeah. yeah so
1: and we're both on socials. And so we have to just learn to be like, yes. you know what, time block that. You know, if you want to connect with your friends or get on a, you know, call, fine. But don't do it right before bed and just yeah. say, you know what, I'm, I'm cutting off any sort of screens at nine or 10. And that counts, you know, things like Netflix, iPad, you know, video games are the worst. <laughs> yeah, video oh, yeah, games are sure. the worst because you're just so, you know, you feel like you're chilling out, but your mind is actually very active it's that you're you're disconnected you're not you're not quiet you're actually your mind's very active but you're but you're just disconnected from your consciousness
0: yeah my thing is the netflix i'm like at night i'm like okay i have this hour and i'm going to sit down and watch a show or something and yeah and i'm just like i know i need to shut this down a little bit earlier and it's that habit of you know something that i have to break
1: I'll tell you one saving grace, Samantha, is that the research does show that if you watch Netflix on a, a TV, it's better than it on a tablet. So if you want to do make that little shift, if you're watching on your iPad. It is on a TV. Yeah. Yeah. Then then yeah. actually the photons are not as disruptive for, for melatonin. So, I mean, I still don't recommend people watching it because it is pretty stimulating. A lot of the shows are, you know, the best shows are stimulating, yes, right? I so know. then you are thinking about <laughs> it. If you're watching a boring show, you probably wouldn't wouldn't do it. But I try <laughs> right. to transition into, you know, uh, prayer, meditation, or reading. Yep. Those three are just awesome.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we don't know. We have zero technology in our bedroom. like There's no TV, iPads. Yeah, nothing. None of that. So um, yeah, I know my fiance is going to be like, see, I told you he's been trying to shut down. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's been trying to shut down the TV at like... So we go to bed at 11 and he's been trying to shut it down at 10.30 so that half an hour, there's like no screens, nothing. And I'm just like, No. Just give me thirty more minutes. Yeah, so uh, I need to work on that one.
1: We all have stuff that we have to work on. No, we all yeah, have totally Seal.
0: And you know what? I would be more concerned if I had really bad sleep, totally, and yeah. I was feeling really like terrible. Then that would be a whole other story. I'd be like, Absolutely. yeah, there's no way. Like, I gotta do this. But it's not an issue for me, so I'm like, just yeah. give me my 30 minutes. If
1: stress. you sleep well, then you know I think people are not motivated to really change. They're like, wait, listen, whatever I'm doing has has been working for us, right? You know, but the question that I always ask is, you're sleeping fine, but are you impairing the amount of melatonin you're secreting? Which is not necessarily an immediate effect. Always, it might be that long term effect that we're right. that we're more concerned about.
0: So Okay, damn it, damn give you have some go. homework okay. to do, Samantha. <laughs> I know I do. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him not to listen to this. Now he can't interview you. I'm sorry. <laughs> (laughs) All right. So, what about focus and concentration? Because this is a really big one, too. And I'd be so curious to know your thoughts on things like medicinal mushrooms or psilocybin. Let's go there.
1: Yeah. You know, I've never been a a big stimulant guy. So, I actually don't. um, That's probably more to do with just my kind of personal preferences. So, I haven't really dived into the psilocybin and microdosing LSD and, you know, this type of stuff. I think that there definitely can be some therapy, therapeutic aspect, but I'm probably not the guy to discuss that. But I'll tell you. uh, And and that being said, I feel like I'm getting the same results in terms of focus and concentration with just using the the nutrients in the right ways. And so I think when it comes down to focus and concentration, is Is your brain being fueled the right way? It it comes out as simple as that. So let's say we check off the sleep. If you're sleeping well, then fine, all right? That has to be the first thing in place. And after that is, you know, even if we have low-grade deficiencies, Samantha, so that could be something like zinc and magnesium and your B vitamins, you know, something that doesn't show up in the bloodstream, those nutrients still need to be optimized to have adequate production of your neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are those chemicals that allow your brain to talk to itself, to the different neurons. And so when you're missing B3, you can't make your feel-good hormone. You can't make serotonin. Your body will always preferentially shunt it down into the B3 pathway. If you're missing B6, you can't make any of your hormones or you're making suboptimal levels. So I don't want to – people think black and white. They're like, oh, if I'm deficient in this, I don't make any of this. That's not the way it works. You still make stuff, but you may not be making – the optimal amounts right so obviously you know you're conscious you can open your eyes you can think you can see but people are now worried about how do I improve my focus how do I improve my concentration how do I avoid that dip in energy at 2 p.m that I get every single day why am I waking up in the middle of the night at three o'clock every single night these are things that nutrition and specifically nutrients can play a really big role in. And the three that I mentioned, magnesium, B vitamins, zinc, and I'll even add in vitamin D, those are my four big orthomolecular building blocks for adequate brain function.
0: Okay, that's awesome. I got to make sure we put that all in the show notes. And I know the next question is, what kind of magnesium?
1: Yes, I know. Well, I happen to be the magnesium guy, so I'll tell you, I'll give you the deets. Sweet. Magnesium is one of these nutrients that I have six in my office. And you might be wondering why do I have six different types? Because it has so many different therapeutic aspects and, and benefits. Right. So magnesium glycinate is the most common one. That's the one that all the health food stores are selling. Believe it or not, there's very little research on magnesium glycinate. That's probably like shocking to a lot of people. It has mm-hmm. just been the de facto leader, not right. because of any sort of beneficial effects. The most well-known form, and I'll get back to glycine in just a second, but the most well-known form is mag oxide. Now, mag oxide, if you're going to go get it, usually people will go to the laxative aisle at the pharmacy. Right. It's a great laxative, milk of magnesia, but it doesn't really have a lot of therapeutic benefit. Think of magnesium and, it, and what it does is always attached to something else. So there's a magnesium plus the amino acid or citrate or oxide. Now, oxide is just oxygen. It doesn't really do anything. It doesn't give us more oxygen. But magnesium glycinate, glycine, is a calming amino acid. So that form, because it's attached to amino acid, is actually absorbed better than magnesium oxide. Right. The controversy with mag oxide and mag glycinate is that a lot of companies have mixed mag glycinate and mag oxide together. And that's how they're able to get these big doses of magnesium. So if you have a 200 milligram magnesium glycinate, I guarantee you there's magnesium oxide in it. Yep. Yeah. And that might be fine. I mean, there I don't have a hate on for mag oxide, other than you know, we're not being as therapeutic as we need to, and you might get loose stools earlier. Right. So a lot of people are like, I can't take more than two. Well, I actually dose my patients on four or maybe even six magnesium capsules a day of pure magnesium glycinate or pure magnesium malate or another form. So that kind of is the breakdown of, of the forms. So the top forms are glycinate, malate in terms of muscles, I like thirinate, magnesium thirinate for brain health. That's a big one. one. Yes. Yeah. And so that one has research on it. You like, for example, Stanford University came out and showed that it was able to get in the brain better because it was able to use this amino acid thirinate to be able to pull the magnesium into the central nervous system. And it actually helps regrow new nerve uh, cells. And in my practice, I've noticed people find They're more calmer, it helps with sleep, and it does have a more kind of brain effect. So I've been quite pleased with magnesium threonate. The downside is, is that it's more expensive and it doesn't give you as much magnesium. So that's the trade-off. So mag oxide gives you a ton of magnesium with a little oxide and mag glycinate or mag threonate gives you a little bit of magnesium in this huge glycine or this huge threonate molecule. And therefore you get less of the magnesium, so you have to take more.
0: Yes. I take three capsules of the three and eight at night and I love it. It's been my go-to magnesium for a couple of years now. And I do find, yeah, it really helps with sleep. So I love that one. Okay. So that's really interesting. Thank you for that. I know there's a lot of listeners now that are, that have more clarity around their magnesium, which is really, really great. So you mentioned hormones, obviously Mm -hmm. hormones are going to have a really big impact on our brain health and our mood and all of it. So can you kind of Dive into that for us and explain what that connection is all about.
1: Yeah, so hormones are something that we think of typically for reproduction or we think about it around our cycle or libido, but we don't always think about it for our brain, let's say, or even for our sleep. Um, as I mentioned, you know, neurochemicals like neurotransmitters, hormones play a big role with those, and think of hormones as signaling molecules. So I specifically, when it comes to brain health and when it comes to sleep and chronic pain, you know, I think the big ones are stress hormones, and so specifically cortisol and DHEA are the two hormones that I'm thinking about a lot. Most patients that I see, Samantha, they're in a state of fight or flight, and I think that whenever I say that term, patients are like nodding their head vigorously. They're like, (laughs) "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me." Right. And so I always get a kick out of that because. They've never just articulated it that way, but they just feel like they're always on the go and they can never get out of the locked on mode. They're enabled. And our bodies always want to have this balance between action and rest, recovery, digest, repair. And you can't always be, have action. And so I think that when I think of hormones in relation to the topic we're talking about right now, I think about w- what the brain is doing by overstimulating the hypothalamus pituitary axis or the HPA axis. And then when your cortisol levels are high, usually they become imbalanced in the way they're supposed to be flowing throughout the day. And you start getting these spikes in the middle of the night, they wake you up and that affects your sleep because you're not sleeping as well. And so you can see already that the cycle is starting to form where your stress hormones are not allowing you to sleep. And then you're tired during the day and you're using stimulants like coffee, and other things to get you going, sweets, sugars, and then you can't sleep again. And then the cycle occurs. Mm-hmm. So when I think of hormones, Samantha, I think about how do we balance cortisol and focusing on keeping cortisol mm-hmm. low at night in the evening and supporting its, its healthy pathways during the day.
0: Okay. I love that. How do we do that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I, I think you know that's where a lot of assessment comes in, and so right. I think there are symptoms that we can you know look at. Like I, you and I have just mentioned, like if you're waking up at two, three, or four a.m. every night, like clockwork, and you're just waking up and like, why am I up? I don't really know why. Right. There isn't like a specific reason that you're like my back hurts, or then it's probably that cortisol is spiking or your blood sugar is off. Those are the right. two things, and so. Both of those are really tightly tied together because one of cortisol's jobs is to kind of melt blood sugar and allow your body to have fuel. And so the first thing is, is get tested. So get some blood testing done, but blood testing is really unfortunately inadequate when it comes to hormone testing. So I do a lot of dried urine hormone testing. I know that you do that as well. Yep. So I use the Dutch testing and there's others as well that you can look at. And that will give you kind of like a period of time over kind of like 12 to 18 hours when your you know, what your hormone levels are at. And we can actually track, you know, you have really, really low hormone levels during the day, cortisol is low. And then at night it starts doing all these spikes when it should be nice and low. And so there are herbs like ashwagandha, one of my favorites me too rhodiola is another one magnolia is another one uh, that help decrease cortisol so we can strategically use that in the evenings at certain times of the day to help support and rebalance kind of the circadian pattern which is the daily hormonal pattern Um, and a, a person that's the first step for a person to start their road to recovery
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I just recently got my Dutch results back and my cortisol is like perfect in the morning, perfect mid-morning. And then afternoon, that like afternoon, early evening, is just like crash. And then it stays just like really, really low. So it's just so great to have this data because then at least in my case, I switched when I was supplementing. If I was exactly. getting right, if I was getting that crash mid afternoon, then that's when I started to take my B vitamins and my, my adrenal support versus taking it in the morning. So that's why it's so important to test. So I'm really glad you brought that up.
1: I think that's such a great insight, and I I would say just to build on that, just for one, for one point, yeah. I see this so often, Samantha, that people say, oh, I did, that didn't work for me, that supplement or that vitamin didn't work for me right. or, or any sort of change. And it's not that maybe the change uh, is the wrong thing. It's not that maybe the B vitamins are not right for you. You're just not taking it in the right time. Right. You're not taking it in the right dose. And so there's other variables. And that's where I think you know the expertise of somebody that knows how to, how to manage these things is so helpful rather than great you know i'm going to take more b vitamins but they could be like you and taking them all in the morning and yeah. by the time lunch time rolls around they're kind of getting processed out of your system so you either want to do a slow release or you want to start switching to lunch and then a lot of people will have a better effect
0: yeah absolutely and you know for the longest time i i didn't take b vitamins because i, I was in that that state of, well, this isn't really, I'm not really feeling a difference and I'm taking all these things. And what a difference of just switching the timing of my dosing. Like I feel like a brand new person at like three o'clock in the afternoon when I take my B vitamins and my adrenal support. So. Timing's huge. Yeah. Awesome. So you mentioned things like coffee, which I know a lot of people are using because it's helping them concentrate and focus and all of that. So, I would love to know, because I'm sure you have a bunch of nutrition brain hacks that we can dive into. So if we can dive into that, share with us some nutrition hacks that you maybe have. Is coffee a nutrition hack? Is that something you would utilize for focus and concentration? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, so let's address the coffee caffeine thing first, because that is a, a big topic, Believe it or not, I just launched my concussion fix course, and that was the number one most asked question. People were just wanting to know: Can I drink my coffee? coffee? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not
0: surprised.
1: After all the things I said about gluten and dairy, and I I talked about good fats, and no, everyone was worried about when should I take my coffee? Should I take it out? How many cups is okay? Can I? So we did that as part of our community. That was our first live that we did. So that's awesome. It's on the top of my mind. It's just pretty fresh. So let me break down caffeine for everybody. First and foremost, what caffeine does in the body is that it basically delays the buildup of something called adenosine. And adenosine is something that's responsible for sleep pressure. That is the feeling of tired. This is why sleep deprivation is the number one most effective form of torture. And I'm not <laughs> yes. advocating <on> anybody, but <laughs> this is why, you know, they don't want to let anybody sleep when they're trying to get information out of somebody right? because it is incredibly Uh, impactful for let's put it that way for a person but and coffee just kind of delays that adenosine and what the research shows is that it helps not necessarily in terms of the ability to memorize things but it allows you to kind of have better coordination when you're fatigued so caffeine only works if you're actually tired number one and number two it doesn't help memory and so if you have a a thing that's mindless that you don't really want to kind of like go back and utilize, then coffee might be totally fine for you to kind of use it. But a lot of people are using it just for like their little get out of jail free card, you know, like I didn't sleep well last night, but I'm still having to like study. I'm still having to like, focus on whatever i'm trying to do like if you're just trying to drive a you know a truck or something like that or like i guess a piece of machinery where you don't have to really remember what's going on it might be effective for that but i think if you have a more academic job or if you have a little bit more of a cognitive job i think that the research shows that it's not really a nootropic meaning it doesn't actually support brain or boost brain function so that's my first point about it You know, the second point goes back to my kind of fight and flight analogy is that if a person is using coffee as a crutch to be able to kind of get through their day, that really raises red flags to me about, you know, why do you need to be so reliant on it? Is it because you have a young child at home and it's temporary and you're getting through it? Okay, then maybe that is temporary. But if you're constantly in a state of sleep deprivation and you're always in that fight and flight mode, you need to like do some bigger changes. So I just look at at coffee as a short term, very temporary band-aid solution. Now, if you love it for the taste, then drink the best quality coffee you can find organic. I'm a huge fan of, and there are ways of enhancing it. So my, one of my little brain hacks, I know you've probably heard of this, but like high octane or bulletproof it has been called many different things. So what I do is I add. Um, I only drink decaf, by the way. Um, that's just my um, preference. I'm already a f- pretty amped up guy in terms <laughs> of like laser, and so I don't need any more of that. And and I find that coffee does kind of give me a little bit of jittery stuff, and that might be to do with the way it, my detox pathways are are working. Right. So I find that you know I drink organic decaf, and I'll and I'll mix it with a, a nut milk. And I'll put a little bit of coconut oil in it for the medium chain triglycerides. You can put a little bit of high butyrate butter or like grass fed organic butter in it. Also, you can do a little bit of both if you want, because they both give you a different fat profile. Um, But my little extra hack is I put in a water soluble fiber. And so uh, guar gum, uh, hydrolyzed guar gum is one of my favorites. Um, it's called Sun Fiber, is the is the brand. It's been studied uh, extensively. It's safe for IBS. It's safe for FODMAPs. I'm a huge microbiome guy. I'm sure mm-hmm. there'll be a question you'll, we'll talk about in just a second, but <laughs> yep. the gut-brain axis is so important. So I want to, any way I can enhance the gut-brain connection, uh, I'll do it. And so that's my kind of third secret ingredient into my coffee.
0: Oh my God, you have so many people that are Googling Sun Fiber right now, I guarantee it. (laughs) So when you, okay, that's interesting. So when you mix it into your coffee, it's tasteless,
1: odorless, tasteless, doesn't clump. You can't even know it's there. That's the oh, beauty about a thing like this.
0: That's awesome. Okay. I'm totally yeah. doing that.
1: And it has like almost like a, if, if there would be a taste, it would be like a really mild sweet flavor, which no one's going to complain about. Totally. So I do it in like my, you know, I'm an organic old gray fan. So I'll do that and, or, or the coffee, I'll put it in there and you don't even know it's in there. So you're like having five grams of fiber. That's great for your digestive system. Doesn't cause any upset, supports your good bacteria without even like you and I.
0: That is amazing. Okay. I love that. And you are right. We are going to dive into gut health in just a second. I'm so interested about your concussion program. I want to talk about gut health. So let's try and fit this all in before you got to go. Okay. So we know that most of our brain chemicals are made in the gut. Mm -hmm. And if we have inflammation going on in the gut, we most likely have inflammation going on in our brain. So can you break down for us the gut brain connection?
1: Right. We probably could do a two hour podcast just on this topic. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I'm up for the challenge. I'm going to try to give you a two minute elevator pitch right here. Okay. What we now know, as you mentioned, is that number one, a lot of the chemicals that your brain uses are produced by your gut microbiome. That's the whole conglomerate of bacteria that are in your gut. And that's actually even more than bacteria. Now we know that there's viruses and fungi. We, they all work together. We have 10 times more bacteria in our guts than we have cells in our body. I mean, let that sink in for a second. We are more bacteria than human in a lot of ways. Yeah. It is pretty crazy. We're
0: one big walking bug is what we I say. We are
1: one... <laughs> Big Petri dish walking yeah, around. Totally. And so, this Petri dish is producing things that are inside of our bloodstream. So, at any given point, 40% of what's in your bloodstream has been produced by a bacteria. And so, these things have effects in all sorts of areas, including the brain. So, one of them are short chain fatty acids, which are these little fatty acids. They're little fats that your gut bacteria produce for themselves that make them happy but also they pump into the bloodstream and the bloodstream the receptors have that uh, in the brain and so these things have an anti-inflammatory effect. So not only are we re- regulating signaling with neurotransmitters we're also regulating inflammation which we know is the root cause of almost every major health issue.
0: Right.
1: Now lastly the gut brain connection really comes drops home when you have any sort of Injury, let's say like a concussion. What the research is now showing, Samantha, is that even hours after a brain injury, your gut becomes more leaky. That means the, the the little barriers open up and allow more inflammation into the body, into the systemic bloodstream, and that is the body's way of trying to heal itself. Now, what if you're already inflamed? What if you have celiac, Crohn's, colitis, IBS? What if you have an autoimmune condition where you already have an intestinal permeability issue? So now you can see how your gut is one of the key limiting factors for you stopping inflammation in a place like the brain. So that's where I tackle with my patients. You can't heal the brain unless you heal the gut. Um, and a lot of people will say my gut's never been on right since I've hit my head or my gut's off because I'm so stressed or I've been on these medications which disrupt my digestive system. That is a huge place we have to fix before we even move on to the target tissue.
0: Right. So what are some simple everyday strategies that somebody can implement to optimize and support their gut health?
1: Well, I mentioned one of them is, is fiber. Fiber is the most important thing that I think you can do. And people think like, I think people have this really bad idea about fiber. They think like Metamucil when they think yeah, is like <laughs> totally. gross, gloopy thing. And that's because that's how it's been drummed into our head. Fiber equals constipation and constipation equals like something that I need to use as a laxative. Right. But fibers so much more, it's found in so many different foods that are in the plant world. So fruits, vegetables are your main source of fibers, whole grains that are, and for me, I always put the gluten-free caveat in are, are really important fiber sources and they fuel our good bacteria to be happy and to reproduce and to produce good things like those short chain fatty acids. So I would say fiber is the the first most important thing that we can do. The other thing is, is that we have to remove out of our diets, the things that are continue to irritate the lining of our digestive system. So, you know, for example, alcohol, high sugar, really refined foods, foods that are high in something called glyphosate. Maybe, I don't know if you've talked about that on your show before. but A
0: little bit here and there, but you can definitely expand yeah, on it, yeah.
1: It's the fancy way of saying Roundup. It's the yep. stuff that's sprayed on crops. So you can actually, um, so it's resistant to a specific herbicide. But the problem is, is that it also disrupts your gut microbiome. And the theory is, is that the reason so many people are now are sensitive to gluten is because in north america gluten it comes from wheat and wheat is sprayed by roundup it's sprayed by glyphosate and that yeah. stuff is all over our in our foods it's in our breads it's in your pasta and that starts damaging the lining of the digestive system so we have to remove food sensitivities to remove the things that are irritating the lining of the gut. So I would say those are the two things. So put good fiber in and remove things that are continuing to irritate. And then after that, there's things like probiotics, there's things like amino acids, like glutamine that help heal the lining, zinc, omega threes, and vitamin D are the most important factors for regulating the tightness of the gut. But you know, you and I probably could spend two hours talking about all those things.
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, but those are some great strategies that people can get started with. So thanks for that. Yep. All right, let's dive in to concussions, because I know you created this amazing online program. So I want to hear more about it. Tell us why you created this program.
1: Yes. So it's called Concussion Fix. Uh, we launched it a couple of months ago. Um, myself and Dr. Cameron Marshall and uh, a psychotherapist, uh, Melinda Kreinen-Hill, we put it together. So we kind of co-founded it. And it it really was born out of two things. Number one is that we were referring a lot of patients back and forth. And Every single person that's had a brain injury that is not just kind of like resolved spontaneously, which, you know, maybe about 70% of people do, but then 15 to 30%, Samantha, they go into this thing called post-concussion syndrome. And this is a kind of a, a term that characterizes the people that just don't get better after a month. They have recurrent headaches. Their hormones are totally out of whack. They have continued neck pain, their vision issues. And so there's this huge constellation of symptoms. And, my patients, I'm addressing kind of the nutritional and metabolic side. So what are your hormones doing? What are your deficiencies doing? Can we correct those? What kind of food are you eating and how are you sleeping? And so I tackle that aspect, but Dr. Marshall tackles the physical medicine aspect. And Melinda talks about the psychological, the mindset recovery. Mm -hmm. And now we just kept finding we were having conversations with patients over and over about the same thing. we said, listen, let's just put it in a course that a person can access it in their own time. Perfect. So this is a course that I'd want all my patients to take. This is a course that I'd want anybody that's ever had a brain injury and still has nagging concerns or symptoms. It'll walk you through those three main areas, the physical, the physical the internal, the metabolic, and the mental-emotional, which are the key foundations for you to get on your recovery path.
0: That's amazing. And I'd love it if you can speak to... Like, I feel like when a lot of people hear concussion, they think of athletes. Yeah. but it can happen outside of a contact sport. So maybe you can just break that down a little bit for us.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because you're totally right. People think like, oh, that's for NFL players. They don't right. really get that. But if you've been in a car accident, you probably had a concussion if you hit your head. Now, there's a lot of things like whiplash that also overlap with concussions. So that makes it a little confusing. And that's where there's a little bit of controversy. like, is it really a concussion or not? Um, but the facts show that many people are walking around without knowing that they've had a concussion they hit their head and this is the reason why they have these nagging symptoms one of the biggest ones is you know fatigue people just are so tired and they've never been right since they've hit their head and it could be right. i slipped and fell on the ice i have so many patients that did that i have patients that were in car accidents i have patients that really hit their head in just like a recreational activity. I've had bungee jumpers. I've had Mm -hmm. people that slipped and fell when they were water skiing. It can happen to anybody in any walk of life at any age. And unfortunately, you can't image it, Samantha. You can't test it. You can't actually somehow visualize a person has a problem. If somebody has back problems, they can go for an x-ray or an MRI and they're like, yep, I see you have a slipped disc. And then, you know, right they now feel validated, they have something wrong. But now people with post-concussion syndrome, they're kind of like, I don't feel great. And I have all these symptoms that are telling me that something's really amiss, something's wrong. So that's where we really, um, we this course is just so valuable to help the people that has any, have any sort of um, brain injury issues. And I would say anybody that just has had concussions even in the past. Like I was a football player in my university days and I'm noticing, you know, my memory is not quite as sharp, this would be a course that you really benefit from as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, I think back to, I think it was around 2015, maybe 2016. I hit my head so hard in the most ridiculous way under my desk. I dropped my pen under my desk, went to go pick it up under the desk, thought, I had the space to you know move back out and I went to go stand up and I hit the metal bar underneath the desk yes like like the leg and I hit it so hard I literally fell back and it was one of those moments where like I saw stars I had a moment of just like dizziness exactly. and seeing stars and it was later that week where the fatigue, headaches, migraines. I totally felt off. And then, and I shared it with my fiance. He was like, it sounds like you might've had a mild concussion. Like if you hit your head that hard. So I went to go see this sports therapist and they just did, you know, testing with like, you have to follow this pen and, yep. and like numbers I had to recite and stuff like that. I actually failed it terribly. And she was like, yeah, it, it seems like you have a mild concussion and then sure enough it wasn't until a year after that when all my auto, autoimmune symptoms arose and i felt the worst. So i always think, you know, i'm i'm sure there was some sort of connection there.
1: I appreciate you sharing because i think that is a really great example of what i hear all the time, Samantha. Yeah. And people are, you know, they either don't make the connection or they're too scared to admit it. And i always say any sort of trauma, it could be mental, emotional, it could be physical, and and oftentimes it is a brain injury or a car accident that is a trigger for unearthing the underlying issue. And so for you, it might be autoimmune, right. but for another person, it might be hormonal issues. And they all of a sudden now have tremendous issues with their periods, their periods stop other people could be insomnia. And, and that trauma basically exposes that underlying issue that has kind of been there all the time and you kind of are keeping it under the surface. So what the re- funny enough about hormones, what the research shows is that you can have up to a year later hmm. deficiencies in hormones that show up after a brain injury because you might have just a subtle decrease in pituitary output which is the master hormone. And then over right. time, that doesn't really show up because your body hides it and you caffeinate yourself and do all the things that we normally right. do. And not until a year later, you're sitting there depressed and you're totally fatigued and you find you can't function at work. And you're wondering what happened. I don't remember getting, you know, something that would have caused this. It probably was to do with maybe something that happened six months or a year ago. That's a really common thing that I see.
0: Wow, that's so fascinating. So where can our listeners go and learn more about your concussion program?
1: Yeah, so it's called concussionfix.io. And you can find it on my Instagram page. I have it all in my link tree. Check that out. I do have a website as well, paulherkelnd.com. But I would say My Instagram is probably the best place to find it or the concussion fix. I'm sure we'll put in the show notes as well so people can go check that out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what is your Instagram handle?
1: Dr. Paul Herkel. That's it. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, and you post some
0: really great content. I love following you and I know our listeners will love it too. Thank you. So that was amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing all your amazing knowledge. I really appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome. That was a lot of fun. I'm really appreciative that you had me on and I really hope that your listeners found that inspiring to kind of get them in, in gear for better sleep and for better brain health.
0: Absolutely. I know like melatonin and sun fibers flying off the shelf right now, probably.
1: So, <laughs>
0: so yeah. So thanks for that. You Awesome. Well, I'm sure we will have you back and uh, thanks again for being here.
1: Be happy to. Thanks again.
0: Thanks everybody for tuning in today. I really hope you learned a lot and got a lot of value out of the episode. There was so many juicy, juicy nuggets shared today. Magnesium, melatonin, sleep hormones, stress hormones, revamping your sleep routine and hygiene. I definitely have some work to do around that, around my sleep and my and my Netflix. I will slowly be revamping that. One thing at a time, people, let's not get crazy. You can follow Dr. Paul Herkel on Instagram at Dr. Paul Herkel. His last name is spelled H. R-K-A-L. You can follow him there. He's posting some really great content, stuff that you guys, I know you're really going to value. And He's posting some just really great videos and content and all of that good stuff. And then be sure to head on over to our website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 117. And you can grab all of the show notes. You can also grab the info to his program, The Concussion Fix, and also links to his website and all the goodies that he's got to offer. So thanks for being here. I'll chat with you all next week. If you haven't left us a rating and a review, we would so, so appreciate them. And I love to read them. They really really means so much. And they just seriously warm my heart. And it means so much knowing that we're impacting you and that we're making a difference in your life. And I'm just so grateful for that. So thanks for being here. And I'll chat with you all next week. Have a wonderful week. Take care.